Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Bob Habersat is a guitarist, composer, and educator, currently teaching at Oak Lawn Community High School in the Chicago suburbs. He is the co-founder of the website ShedTheMusic.com and lead creator of content specializing in remediation and enrichment resources for the general music and performance classrooms. Bob is the author of the Production Through Performance Music Technology Curriculum, as well as many articles published by Soundtrap, NoteFlight, NAFME, and the Jazz Education Network. He has acted as an educational consultant for digital badge currency at LRNG, has presented at conferences nationwide on music technology and jazz education, and has also taught graduate classes at Vandercook College of Music. When he is not teaching, Bob loves going on adventures with his wife Kristen and their children Lee and Brooke. I know that you'll enjoy our conversation. It is my pleasure to welcome uh, Bob Habersat to the podcast this week. Bob, big fan of yours. I came across uh, your site, Shed the Music, probably uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Somebody was at a conference and said, oh my God, have you seen this thing? And uh, I, I love what you do with that. And then when I find out that you're actually a teacher and that was you know, kind of your side hustle thing, I was like, this guy's fantastic. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. Uh, and I can't wait to uh, to talk music tech with you. So welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm like honored to be on the podcast. Thank you for all the people that are listening out there. You are the exception, not the rule. The fact that you're going out and listening to a music tech podcast means that you are some really good people. So thanks for listening and thank you for having me. Oh, that's the truth. So why don't, uh, as, as I like to start with all my guests, I'd love, I, I know that you, you teach at uh, Oak Lawn Community High School in, in suburban Chicago, but I'd love to start with your path from like where you went to undergrad and how you got to where you are now. So if you wouldn't mind giving us like the, the Reader's Digest, as Marjorie Lepresti called it in the last show, <laughs> Reader's Digest uh, version of your path between undergrad and where you are now. All right. Um, I have to, well, my undergrad, my undergrad story is boring. So I have to like go back a little bit um, to like music technology for me. And that started with my, my dad. Like I started, I'm like native to music tech. Um, one of my earliest memories is trying to sneak into his recording studio. It was one of, uh, it was like their second closet in their bedroom. And I just remember like staring at his Tascam four track and his like speakers and then trying to like get microphones and him shooing me away. Um, but he was like, I, I, f I find that he was my biggest education. Um, in music technology and in music in general. So, and he was also an um, uh, electrical engineer. So he had me always thinking about why and how, 
and like, okay, here's a problem. Let's try to solve it. And I just remember fifth grade, he got me two Shure SM57 microphones and a four track recorder for Christmas. And um, like try, my, my thing was, I really wanted to get the sound of uh, Phil Collins drums, like in, in, like in the air tonight, the doo -doo 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 -doo, those big gated toms. And it was just like, Having that problem and then trying to synthesize a solution to that problem, I'd find that was like my biggest education and then him kind of helping me toward, I never got the, the Tom sound anyway, but um, that's okay because that sound is super passe now anyway, but it was him guiding me through that and that was like my biggest educational push. Like I went to, um, I went to Elmer's College in Elmer's, Illinois for choral music ed and jazz studies. I eventually became a jazz guitar major, um, but I didn't do any music technology there uh, that much, but I, I've been recording my whole life. I just remember um, not having enough money to get like a multi-channel interface and having to build a computer and putting a bunch of sound cards and trying to hack through some um, audio drivers to try to record my band in a garage, you know, so that was my big education in music technology was just trying to figure stuff out with the little means that I had. And then when I started teaching, um, I went from, you know, I went, I, I student taught and then I, uh, got a maternity leave position at the school that I teach at now, which is awesome. I taught choir for uh, the majority of a year and then I was a long-term sub. And then I was a, uh, uh, middle school general music teacher on a cart oh, my goodness. yeah right my office was the hallway in between the gym and the lunchroom it was a very nice hallway <laughs> and then uh, I would I like the first thing I did when I got that job was I got a QSC K8 speaker it was like a, it's like a DJ speaker yep I like I pimped out my cart you know I had that on there I had a, a mixer on the top and I had a wireless uh, mic system and then I'd bring that in and we'd do like beatboxing and beat map reading and like rudimental snare drumming and stuff. And then I got the gig at Oak Lawn and I was uh, hired for uh, choral, like one choir class, piano and music tech. And then uh, the year after I started teaching guitar because that's my, my primary instrument's guitar. And then from there, uh, we've added, oh my goodness, um, I'll talk a little bit about what we have at the program. Uh, we have, you know, uh, a guitar one, guitar two, those are both one semester classes. We added that guitar two uh, maybe like six years ago. And then we have Guitar Studio, which is our performing guitar ensemble, which we added about four years ago. And we have Music Technology, which is one of the original classes I got hired to teach. And then I, I switched from my, my choir responsibilities um, to you know, more guitar. And then I have music theory, honors music theory one, honors music theory two, honors music composition and production, which is now a dual credit class. Um, what else do I teach? Oh, I assistant direct at Drumline. And then we have an electric guitar ensemble that meets after school. And that's like uh, five guitars, bass drums. It's kind of like a jazz fusion ensemble. Wow, that's very, very cool. So how long have you been teaching? I mean, so you, you're, you've been in two separate schools, if I got that story right? Yeah, yeah, sorry, a circuitous path. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it was uh, nine years. So one year as a sub, two years um, in middle school on a cart yep. with all of the lunch duties and bus duties and things that come with that cool gig. And then uh, been nine minus six. 
Am I nine or three? Okay, I've been in my position for six years. <laughs> All right, very, very cool. So that sounds like, I mean, what, if people said to you, hey, Bob, what, you know, you know, what do you teach? What, what I've heard is primarily, you're doing a lot of guitar, a lot of music tech, and you're doing a little choral, is that right? No, no more choral anymore. Oh, um, okay. No, I'm doing, we, they had uh, music theory in the books when I moved there. When I moved there, when I got the position, and um, nobody took it, so I I hipped it up and I made it more like honors music theory, like prepare you for a, a, a like a professional playing career, like being a well-rounded musician, kind of like modern band, but a little more theory heavy. And then my main my main gig um, is those kind of classes. So the honors music theory one. Honors Music Theory 2, which is almost like a jazz improv class, the composition and production class, which is like music technology 2, all the, the fun things. But yeah, no more, no more choir. But that's how, I, that's how I got in the door. Got it. So why don't you describe, because, um, you know, w- whenever um, people listen to uh, a job like yours, which I think you would probably agree, agree is... Uh, quote unquote, a non-traditional music educator role where you're where you don't have um, a band choir orchestra as the majority of your teaching with like the way uh, traditional music ed, you know, the, the, the Titanic behemoth music ed model where, you know, at a high school, you're teaching primarily a performance ensemble and you might have a music theory uh, course to fill in your schedule. It sounds to me, if you know Will Kuhn, that you've got kind of the opposite, which is a non-traditional music educator role at a high school, guitar, music theory, and music production, music tech. Would you agree? Yeah, that's my. I only have one, one performance ensemble. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I love it. To me, that's a dream gig, uh, completely hearing I'm sitting here going, wow, that's very, very cool. Um, but so for people listening going, oh, my God, well, that's not me. Um, I'd love to know the, what does your classroom look like? If you, you know, this is a podcast, so we can't see it, but if you could maybe visualize it for, for our listeners, what, what you've got and, and, and how you got that and, you know, did you build it up over time? Oh boy. All right. Well, close your eyes, listeners. All right. (laughs) And, uh, picture this with me, take a journey into my classroom. I think we had a tornado rip through our school in like the sixties. So there are like these strange additions. So I, there's an exterior wall on one side and I think it was either a band room or a choir room. So I have like built in risers. Um, and then at the bottom of the risers, I have my drum set and then a smart board behind me and all around the perimeter of the room are computer stations. It is not ideal. Like I was just trying to get, um, a quote to see if we can get some risers put in, but it's really good because it's kind of a blended space. Like students can sit in desks. Um, the desks have a little table attachment, those wanger chairs. So it's great for, you know, like have a guitar rehearsal in there or it could be theory class and then they can, okay, go to your computers and they go all to the outside. And then there's one room that I think might have been like, I don't know, a greeter station because it was the outside. So it has like double pane glass that has uh, the wire through it. It's like shatterproof glass. It's like a really good control room because um, it has like some pretty good acoustic properties oh, in there. Oh, cool. Um, but that's just happenstance. So it's, it's a choir room and I just kind of made it work. And I, I heard that from all the podcasts, you were a sound tree rep. I was. I, I ran the company for a couple of years. Oh. oh, look at that. Okay, never mind. You're not a rep. <laughs> you are the dude. Yeah. Um, uh, so you, I, I heard a bunch of people throw around Korg X5s. 
we had a whole closet full of Korg X5s. And this, oh, is wow. how I started, this is how I started my program. So we had a bunch of other, other keyboards and out. And, you know, we had a bunch of Dell computers that had horrible latency. But um, to get the program started, I was like, okay, I got this whole closet full of old keyboards. Like, I don't know what to do with them. They're just in the way. So I looked it up. And there is like this very specific genre of electronic Banda music that swears by the fake trumpet sounds in the Korg X5. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I almost sold them for the same amount of money that they were new on eBay. Um, I, there were a bunch that had keys that weren't working. So I took them apart and like I was able to scrub the carbon contacts. If you have Korg X5s, I use the Expo dry erase spray and that, that got rid of oh, all the my problems. Goodness. Open it up. So I made enough money to start, like I bought a universal audio Apollo interface. I bought like a bunch of mics to start a locker got a snake. I got like all the stuff to start a studio from just like scouring my closet. Um, but after, you know, the, my music technology class and my theory class started to have some momentum, I was able to, you know, beg my administration. I have like the best administration. I mean, it's a one school district. So there's like not a lot of red tape and they're super open and like, they want to try things all the time and, and they're really good at like what's best for the student. So they were able to give us all Mac minis after a few years, which got rid of our latency problem. And that's yep. kind of where we are now. Right now I have a, you know, keyboard at the front that I sit at and I play and then there's the drums and drum set is a huge part of all the classes. So everybody's always rotating in on drum set and I'm, 90% of the day, I'm probably behind a drum set playing a beat and talking about something over the beat to the kids and just always getting that that really important foundational element of steady beat with the class. Even if it's like our top ensemble, it's like, okay, how well can you keep that beat? But that's why the drum set's right at the front of the room. Very cool. How many, so how many stations do you have? 23 and then my teacher station. Oh my God, my teacher station. I got this desk by Output. It's called the Platform. If you are on your computer, if you're not, if you're in your car, stop, <laughs> pull over, look up Output Platform. It is the most amazing desk. It has a tray that pulls out for your keyboard, and then there's cutouts for your legs. It's so oh, just like cool. glass. Oh, it's it's insane. It's the best desk ever. Um, so we got that a couple years ago. But uh, yeah, there's just 23 student stations, and then that. <laughs> Very, very cool. So uh, then what I'd love to know is, is you are, you're not the only music teacher in the high school. So what is, I, I would assume. Um, so is the rest of the music program at the high school like your traditional thing or, or are you the whole show? No, 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 no. Um, there's a band program of about 150 and uh, that we have uh, Paul Levy. He's also um, part of the shed. He uh, is the band director. Oh, and cool. He, he, teaches, he teaches maybe one piano class every year. And then Mark Baglione is our choir director and he teaches a couple piano classes as well. Very, very about, cool. Choir program about 80. There's like 220 students in the general music program. We have about 1,800 students in the school. Excellent. All right. So, Bob, before we get into like what you're doing with um, with uh, if I remember correctly, you use Soundtrap, NoteFlight and Sight Reading Factory. Before we get into those specific software titles that are in the like the music first world. Um, again, the thing that um, I was immediately drawn to or the reason why we're talking uh, is that somebody at some show said, have you seen this? And uh, for the for listeners, uh, you know, while you're on the side of the road looking up that platform desk, also go to shedthemusic.com 
I'd love to hear how did that come about? How did you say, I've got to make a website and do some really cool things and make a curriculum? That's how it started. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I was teaching piano class and it was just, you know, one of those days after teaching bass clef and you had the kid that took like the extra long extended spring break and they came back like one week later from Cabo, all tan. They're like, what's bass clef? He's like, oh my gosh, I need to do something because this is ridiculous. So that room that we cleaned out all the Korg X5s, it had, there was a lot of space in there. So I took a, a, a webcam and I ducked duct taped it to a mic stand and I borrowed some lights from the media center and I recorded a video with a whiteboard for bass clef. So uh, originally we housed all the videos on our um, school music website. We put all, a lot of our stuff there. We, we don't, none of us use like an LMS all the time. A lot of our um, announcements and stuff are on our website for the classes. So we had all these resources there and then um, there was a, I, I did some work for LRNG which is uh, you know, like this awesome nonprofit founded by the MacArthur Foundation. And I made some videos for them. And I was like, oh man, and they came to the school and they wanted to check out the awesome studio. And then they saw that it was, you know, webcam duct tape to microphones. So they, they gave us grant money to buy some equipment. And then uh, oh, very cool. you know, we made some more content. And then we're like, okay, other people are starting to use these videos, which is awesome because I know that they really helped in my class. Like, instead of, you know, I was able to reprogram my students whenever they had a question like that of something that I've already taught. First, I would say, all right, go to, go to the website, go to our music uh, website and look it up. And then after doing that enough, I would just say, you know, like I'm a jazz guy. So like people would, you know, when you practice, you say, go to the shed, you know, like I'm woodshedding, I'm practicing. And then we put a little sign on that storage room that said the shed. And then, um, you know, eventually we made buttons that said the shed. And then when a kid would ask that question, instead of me ask, answering it, I would just point to the button and they'd be like, oh yeah, I got to look at the shed. And then I would, you know, reprogram their brain for any time they had a question about just general musicianship knowledge. Instead of having to ask me, they would just go to the website and it would be like a highly curated, like, uh, place of, you know, all these resources that had universal terminology and it had like a string running through all of it and there was continuity. And that changed the level of musicianship in our school so much, like just the baseline level of knowledge of that our students had because they had this resource. Um, it was fantastic. So we, you know, we bought a domain name because other people were using it. And uh, Shed the Music was the only domain with Shed in it that was available. So that was our title. And then I had a friend make a, <clears throat> friend make a logo and, you know, kept putting out more resources. We have this really big uh, push. This was my Paul Levy's thing. His baby was his master's project for writing etudes for jazz solos using this library that we created, this Lick library on there. So we presented it the jazz education network in 2017 and ever since then I've been, I've had, I have a bit of a problem of just like, it's like this mad scientists urge in me to just like create resources and test them on students and refine them and then just like add them to this giant collection. It's just like this big bubbling cauldron of music stuff. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I often describe it, which you may or may not like as the Khan Academy of music. Um, and you know, that, the kids can go self-paced through the videos. You're, you're a very affable guy. It's, you, the videos are really a lot of fun to watch. And you're very, very, very clear. I, I mean, if you say, I would like to learn the, you know, what the notes are in the bass clef, 
uh, at the end of the short video that you've created, you, you know exactly what those notes are. So it's right to the point, um, very clean. I, I would imagine that you've had a lot of practice making these videos. Uh, and, and in my graduate classes that I teach, when I have my students make tutorial videos, they, they find that it takes a ton of time. So I'd love to know like an average three to four minute video, how much preparation, how much time does it take you to make one video? Oh man. Well, I, I've, since in my, um, that's a really good question. I really <laughs> appreciate that question, Jim. Um, in my research and my mad scientistry, um, I've been like researching the different ways that kids like learn from these videos. So, you know, the, my, my current setup is like, if I'm just making a video, like a, um, just like a talking head video where it, may, it might jump to my fingers playing keyboards and it might jump to my computer screen. What I did was I took a Bluetooth and I can give you all this stuff because I think it, it really cuts down the, the time. Um, I, I programmed a, a Bluetooth controller to um, do Apple scripts where it then talks to my video switcher and then I take my shoes off and I control the um, Bluetooth controller with my feet. Oh my God. Really, yeah. So I don't do any post-production with my videos. All oh the videos my God. I'll have like the two cameras, my like face cam, my down facing cam, and then my, the HDMI out for my computer. And I'm like mixing the video with my feet as I go. Um, and there's been multiple iterations. The first iteration, uh, there's a few videos on there where you can hear it. Like I use this old board and you can hear the thing squeaking when I press down on my feet and I was trying to stop it a couple times and you just hear like squeak, squeak. And I'm looking at the camera with an awkward look, like come on, turn off. So <laughs> that's in there. There's Easter eggs if you look around. Um, but now, um, since I've done it a lot, maybe a four minute video to take would take like five and a half minutes. Um, there's usually a couple bad starts and then once I get in a roll, it's fine. I just, <laughs> I talk to myself a lot in the car. So like for, uh, these questions are really well rehearsed because I've talked to my car a lot, um, for this podcast, but that's yeah. how I get, I, I get all my ideas out, um, in the car. And I do the same thing, like man. Some. Exactly the same thing. I, I, I go through presentations in the car or where people must think I'm nuts. So I, <laughs> we're, we're, we're cut from the same cloth, Bob. You were, yeah, and I, I've read your papers, and like I've, I'm, I'm a big Jim Franco fan. I was oh, like, thinking the same things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and yeah, so it, once I get it going, normally, normally, now that I say that next video, I try to make something horrible. Normally, um, it's it's pretty quick. Um, but in my research of like how they learn, like everybody's watching YouTube. Like I watch YouTube. I watch YouTube to learn. Sometimes I'll put on a video about quantum mechanics. Like oh, I'm gonna feel smart today. I'm going to watch a video of quantum mechanics. I'm not learning about quantum mechanics, but the weird like scratch in my brain um, to want to learn high level things get itched, gets itched when I'm watching this video. And sometimes I understand it, but there's like no comprehension or retention. I can say that, oh, I watched a video on quantum mechanics. I'm super cool. But that's that same kind of thing happens with our students, I think. And even with a short video, like a minute and a half, because they're like, they're on Snapchat, Twitter, uh, attention spans right now. So I think that I am kind of straying away from talking head videos. Um, and now I am doing a blended thing. I've been experimenting on this, the, the new level of my uh, music tech curriculum is going to use a lot of these resources where it's text in between short video examples. The video examples by themselves make absolutely no sense. You can watch the video examples while you read the text and they enrich the text. Right. You can read the text by itself and it works, but you still get like the clickbait of, oh, there's a video. I want to I watch the video. And then it helps them with like 
just tracking through topics. And I've done just, I mean, it's super informal. I have my, my sample size is, you know, the 220 kids that I see, but um, I've seen that kind of thing works better. So like right now I'm doing this big thing on how to write non-diatonic chord progressions and you know, I'm making all these short videos, but I have to make like 25 of them. So maybe one video takes five minutes. Some, like I made this big long one to talk about a pop song form. This is really weird. I did this challenge with my class where I wrote a pop song in 15 minutes while they wrote a pop song in 15 minutes and ended up being a pop song about pop songs. So that took 15 minutes, but then I animated it and that took three weeks. So it could be anywhere from three minutes to three weeks. Those are literally the worst answer to one of the best. No, it's great. It's absolutely great. I mean, you've, you've figured it out. You've got it down to a science because I mean, for me, uh, and like many people, you get red light fever. Um, and so, uh, you know, you start like and umming a lot when I, whenever I make videos, I start, I'm like, Oh, and I have to cut and start over again. So, um, you're not reading off a teleprompter, right? You're, you're, this is, it's coming out of your head, kind of rehearsed in the car. You're rehearsing what you're going to say. Oh, if I read off a teleprompter, it's brutal. Yeah. I've, I've done a couple of them and it's mm, 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 no, the, lots of ums, lots of yeah, likes. And then exactly. it, the, the authenticity goes away. So if you do want to make your own content, which I highly recommend because it's a great way. I mean, one of the things that technology is good at is it's the great tether between you and your students, no matter where they are. So I recommend, you know, just, just starting, you know, with making these things. And then if you want, I would be more than happy to show you some really cool video switching, but that's a deep, dark rabbit hole. If you have, yeah, any, I'm sure. So gearhead hole. if I can just share a couple of thoughts I had while you were talking and then we'll move into what you're doing with, uh, with some software. Absolutely. Uh, number one, what I love about what you've done is you're using technology to teach music and you figured out that, all right, well, if I want to differentiate the learning and have a what I would imagine is a, is a large curated collection of videos. Um, you know, you're using technology to teach music, but it's not getting in the way. It's actually helping you out. It's not using it for technology's sake. You had a problem. Kid gets back from Cabo and says, how do you, what? And then, and, and it, rather than taking the time out of your class, you made these videos probably on your own time so that the kids could go into the shed and learn so that you don't have to, quote unquote waste class time explaining things that they may not be grasping um so I, I i adore the way that you're using the technology and it's not just to be nerdy and use the tech it was to actually solve a problem oh uh, it's pretty nerdy man oh, it's <laughs> but nerdy, no you're right <laughs> but you know what i mean you're using yeah. it from a pedagogical standpoint it's a perfect use of technology because you're you're just teaching and it's you it's you i mean uh, folks, go to shedthemusic.com and go through the, the different um, categories of videos and click through and you watch them for yourself. I mean, you can tell that, uh, that Bob is really good, that you, Bob, are, are really good at, at explaining things. And, and the, the other thing I wanted to mention is that kids know that. Kids know when you've put in the sweat equity to create these things. I personally think that it might be subconsciously sometimes and consciously other. They really appreciate the fact that you took that time to make that video because they know how long it takes. They've probably made their own little silly tutorial videos when they were young, like, oh, here's how you make slime, and they put it up on YouTube. Um, they know how much work it is, and I bet they really appreciate you. I think that I'm, I'm imagining that your students think you're a rock star. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Some days. Some days. Some days. <laughs> some days. Some days not. Some days a weirdo. Some days a rock star. Some days other things I can't say on podcast land. Oh, but no, no. I, I, yes, and that's that's exactly it. And they, I think especially now, like the prosumer and even consumer technology for them to record themselves, and then the they're the people they look up to. They're no longer rock stars. They're YouTubers that are doing right. the same kind of thing in their room, and that stuff's hard. You need like. There's a special kind of person I'm still, you know, working on. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting, but they definitely do appreciate that. And I appreciate you, uh, you pulling that out. Yeah, no, definitely. So uh, we're going to switch gears because I could talk to you forever about this, but I realize we're, we're almost a half an hour in almost. So, oh, goodness. Um, uh, what, so you are using Soundtrap and NoteFlight and Sight Reading Factor. Just love to hear some quick ideas of what you're doing. I know you have a curriculum. It's fabulous called Production Through Performance, which is primarily Soundtrap based if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so first, I'd love for you to see what kind of things, projects are you doing with Soundtrap with your kids and then yeah if you can if you can also talk about no flight and sight reading factor that'd be great absolutely so soundtrap is the best daw for educators um and we use it just as a regular daw in our production class so the class that you were talking about i mean the slant is that the um, piano keyboard is the primary performance instrument and they're learning how to read, write, and record, you know, bass lines, drum parts, chordal parts, and uh, melodies to make their own pop songs. And then along the way, they're learning skills. And then they have students that come out of that class that end up joining like jazz band or whatever. And they're like hooked at a deeper level. But we use Soundchamp for that. And that's, that's like basic stuff. Um, because if, if you can think about anything a DAW can do or anything recording can do, there's a lot of other interesting things, especially since it's a multi-track um, tool. So um, one of the things like with my jazz class is I've recorded a bunch of etudes, jazz etudes, and then I've played in the drum parts, I've played in the bass parts, I've played in like the chords, and then I've played in somebody playing the solo. And like they, you know, have to, you know, make a copy of the, of the file. When they have to listen to the solo so much they can sing along with it, then they have to mute that track and then sing the solo of oh, the track. Cool. So they're learning the etude by ear. And that's like the way to like hotwire the language acquisition part of the brain that went dormant after you were like five, you know? Um, so that's one of the things that we do. Um, I collaborate with other departments. Like I have an awesome boss right now and he is – um, an English teacher and he's having his kids do like uh, they're, they're writing a rap for uh, Odysseus and the Odyssey and then my kids are uh, creating beats and then the greatest thing is we can collaborate and then like they can write their raps over these beats and next Thursday they're going to come in and track them in our room but that's like a normal DAW thing but what I like about Soundtrap and NoteFlight is the audio sync feature I make so many resources for my students like workout videos and things just to like try to solve one little problem like feeling the upbeat like tapping your foot seeing an eighth note on the end and being able to nail it every time so like I've made a track in Soundtrap um, about upbeat and it has like a backing track and it's funky and then it has me talking over it that's like prompting students about you know the rhythms that they're seeing but the rhythms they're seeing are written in note flight and then I sync the audio I upload that 
audio to YouTube and then I sync it to the score so they see it tracking. They have to read the um, rhythms while they're listening to the backing track. And then they can, there's another you know, version of it without me talking and then they can record it and submit it for assessment. So it's like an interesting way to, to try to hotwire that, you know, just being like when you, when I read an eighth note on the end, like I'm tapping my foot and I'm feeling it. I'm getting like, the, uh, I'm feeling the and yep. and it, it like hotwires that. Um, we do composition and transcription in every class. So in note flight, we'll like, all right, well, let's do post Malone circles and then I'll um, <laughs> cool. sync the audio. We'll transcribe it together in class. I have a, this like big list of pop tune melodies and stuff that's on the shed. Um, that you can just like click a note flight score. It's all pre-sunk for you. It's all free. You can have fun with it. We do it in my like intro guitar class and we do it in my, you know, top theory classes. Um, and we do group arrangements. So, you know, I'll, I'll sync a score like in my performing guitar class and then we'll build the arrangement together in class. And then we'll talk about like arranging while we're building the arrangement. And then we'll use that arrangement at a concert. So then they can see like what worked, what didn't work. And then when we're, when they're in their like electric guitar ensemble, they can arrange their own stuff. And then they have all the tools there. Um, yeah. And I have like uh, the biggest project that I did with Soundtrip and Note Flight together is uh, for drumming, uh, for like battery drumming, like snare drumming. I took all the rudiments um, that we use and uh, I, I broke them into you know main categories and I wrote this like big four minute warm up using just like doubles and then I wrote for the double one it was like a trap thing in Soundtrap but the music matched exactly what was happening in Note Flight and then I hired a uh, drummer to play and then I took a multi-cam video of him playing and then I showed on the bottom there's like the clip of the Note Flight score so kids can work on these like really boring rudiments, but it's like, boom, it's like this crazy music and their, their, their doubles match the hi-hat. So it sounds like they're like part of it and they like get into it. They might work on little chunks, but when they add it together, they're like part of the music. And if you play it on a bang and stereo, um, it's really cool. And then in uh, Cybering Factory, like, like I start using it in guitar one and um, maybe after like we're in week nine right now, maybe in like a couple weeks when we start reading like low notes, I have all these different levels that I've configured and then it's just like bang, bang, bang. It's just like an unlimited resource of awesome sight reading examples. It's insane. And then we use the choir. Um, you can do multi-part choir. Right. And uh, for guitar ensembles, since we're all reading the same clef, I just go like soprano, soprano, alto, alto. Okay, look at the score. It's four part, you know, your part one, your part two, your part three, your part four, and let's play it. And it's just fantastic for, for like, like um, voiced instruments. So, Bob, I'm listening to you, and I'm just, uh, I'm so impressed with the amount of passion and energy and what's obvious time that you must put into your program to create this stuff. I mean, when you talk about syncing, you know, video or audio to note flight, that's not a trivial task. I mean, you like, so if you take a post Malone tune, bring that into note flight and then sit there with the space bar tapping to sync the note flight score or the note flight melody, uh, to, to the post Malone track that takes time. So you are probably spending a lot. I mean, how much time do you estimate you're spending a week? Um, outside of your, you know, teaching in front of the, are you doing this in your prep time? Or are you doing this at home? I mean, how much time are you spending doing all that? Well, um, it's tapered off a little bit. I have two kids. They're awesome. My wife is super understanding, but I was able to build a studio in my basement over the last 
six months. So it's a By the way, I've been watching that on Facebook. It is beautiful. You really know what you're doing. It's gorgeous. I have no idea what I'm doing, but now I kind <laughs> well, of it looks do. great. The next one will be fantastic, <laughs> but uh, it's soundproof. So normally I wake up early. Um, my, my current workflow is wake up an hour, hour and a half earlier than normal and then get some stuff done. And then the trick for me is just to like slow chug every day. And then I think it's, I don't know, I learned some hanging around these business people, you learn business speaking. It kind of helps the lean principles. And they were talking about sprints. So sometimes I'll have like a big project I want to get done. So I'll do a sprint and I'll work extra hard and I'll work through lunch and I'll stay a little after school and I'll wake up early. And once I get that thing done, like I kind of let it settle. And then, um, like I woke up on accident at three 30 this morning and I was working on my non-diatonic cord thing. Um, till like <laughs> six, but that was an accident and right. I'm feeling it right now. I was like, Oh man, that was yeah, right. So it, at I least feel, four. <laughs> I call that, I call that busy brain. I used to have that now that I'm almost 50. Uh, my busy brain's slowing down a bit, but yeah, man, very, very impressive. I just think you're, you must be an absolutely fabulous teacher. Those kids are very, very lucky to have you. Well, thank you. Um, so we're we're kind of running, uh, you know, towards uh, the out of time thing. So I want to make sure mm. I get these last couple of questions in. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the first one is about advice because, again, when when people are now going, oh my God, I got to wake up at three thirty. Oh, I can never do this. What advice would you give? I love asking this question because everyone, it's basically the same theme, but everyone's got their different take on it. Um, advice for music teachers who are thinking of incorporating music tech might feel a little overwhelmed or not, not, they don't know where to go to get information. Um, well, you don't have to wake up at three 30. That's just for crazy <laughs> people. It's just for weirdo, crazy people with busy brain problems. But, yeah. um, the first thing that I would do is, you know, like everybody says, join the, I teach music technology, Facebook group, all that stuff. Um, if you're, I mean, when we say music tech, we're talking about like electronics and computers and stuff, scour your building like I did and try to find things that are there. Because I think the most important, the most impactful tool that you can have as a music teacher, if you have an ensemble, isn't like a shiny MIDI lab. It's getting the kids like juiced about music that much more. And I think the thing that they're lacking in a lot of their music enjoyment is a high quality playback system. So like the, one of the first things that I did was I, you know, I sold all those X5s. I bought these beautiful EAW speakers from this weird dude's garage and I have this amazing like amplifier, but you know, and I'll play anything and the kids are sucked in. It could be, you know, it could be Brahms. It could be XX extension. I have no idea how to say the person's name, but when they hear it at that, like that high level, they're just like, Oh my gosh, um, so yeah, that, because you're used to having earbuds in playing crappy MP3s, excuse my French. Exactly. And you right. might have it at your school. If you go around, like go to the media center, go to other people's rooms, you might have like a cool old set. You, you might have like a receiver and an old set of speakers. That's, that's usable music technology. The step after that is I would get like something to record your students with to play back through that. So if they hear themselves, you know, we have that the voicemail paradox where you have the idea of what you think your voice is, but it's not the same as what you actually hear the first time you hear it. The same thing as what happens when our students hear themselves play for the first time. I talked really fast. I'm so sorry. So get something that you can play them back and that's going to have like super objective feedback right away. And then after that, you know, you can, you know, that's for a performance ensemble. 
get, I would say, I've heard people on the podcast say opposite things. I am all about get dirty as quick as possible with the music. And then, you know, if you fall flat on your face, the honesty of falling flat on your face and your students is one of like the best things that they can see. And then if you are honest with yourself and honest with your students, and if something fails, and then talk to him about it. Be like, man, I tried this thing. It just, did it fall flat? Yes, it did. Mr. Harper said, all right, what could we do to make it better? You're part of the process now. Like just try to do as many things and then listen to music. We're in the business, you know, teaching music. I'm sure the last thing you want to do when you're teaching third grade Suzuki violin for the whole day is go home and listen to a symphony, but like find something that you're passionate about still in music and listen to it because that's going to come across to the kids, whether you're teaching recorder or you're teaching an Ableton push. Um, that has nothing to do with the question that you asked, but I'm sorry. I no, it's very, it's very good. It's great advice. I think that, um, you know, remind yourself why you fell in love with the subject in the first place. Uh, you know, cause I will say that if, you know, listening to third grade Suzuki violin all day, you probably get home, you go, I don't want, why the heck did I do this? I, yeah, I right. say that with all full respect for the method and, and for strings, but you know what I'm saying? There are days when you come home as a music teacher and you go, Oh, I don't want to hear one any more out of tune E string from me in my guitar one class, and I'm going to flip. I don't want to listen to guitar anymore. Exactly. Very, very cool. So, um, Bob, you're, you're, I, I could we 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 need to hang out, my friend. Um, I, I I'd love for you to answer the last question, which is the golden one, the magic mm -hmm. wand, because from you, I can imagine. I'm, I'm 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 really excited to hear what you say. If you could change one thing about it could be Soundtrap, it could be Note Flight, Sight Reading Factory, or Music Tech in general. Uh, what would you do to make the world a better place? All right, magic wand, I'm holding it in my hand. It is magic, <laughs> with one incantation, I can cast two spells, so I have two spells. This is a two All spell right. thing. First spell, we have been an iPad school for four years. iPad is a big iPhone. No person, no like professional creative makes anything on the iPad. Things can approximate, you know, like, and I might ruffle feathers, but like I hear the people that are listening going, oh my gosh. But like you can approximate real creative tools on an iPad and some of them are pretty good, but real things are done on a computer. Apple, I know you're not listening to this podcast. You might be, hello. Um, but if you could make the next iPad Pro dual boot with iOS and OS X, you would rule the world. You probably wouldn't sell any more MacBook Pros, which is why you're not doing, but it would be an amazing thing because then you have the, I, I see the iPad as a consuming device, kind of a creative device, but there's some limitations. Yes, you're gonna come out with a desktop class internet browser, but it doesn't support MIDI through HTML5, so you can't use Soundtrap with it. Right. Um, you can only use the, the, the MIDI keyboard with GarageBand. So, that would be great. My second thing is about like bigger picture music education stuff. And this one includes music first. So this is for everyone. We don't have an AP music theory class at our school, but we might add one. But, you know, I don't remember the last time that I had to realize Bach continuum on a gig. You know, sometimes the, the things that we're, you know, teaching in those AP courses might not be applicable to everybody's situation. So I think we need a different way, another way to you know show that students have these skills and i think it's through digital badging so i used to work uh was like educational consultant for lrng and it was all about the digital badges if you're not if you're not aware there are these images that have baked data uh, in the png itself about you know what how you got this badge so what if we can recreate the model um for you know to go from your your high school to to 
you know, your post-secondary school, like what, instead of taking an AP test, what if you had all these badges that showed like, yeah, I know my 12 scales at 120 beats per minute by just like saying them out loud and I could play it on piano. Maybe I know I can play this set of rhythms at this difficulty level and I earn these badges. So you have these badges and then to earn one credit for a music class at this college, they require this set of badges. So this is for music first, this is for everyone out there. You know, I kind of, um, we have some badges that are available, but you know, we have one course that's now dual credit. Um, and I would, with a, a college, and it's an awesome college, University of St. Francis, small college in, in Illinois, but I would like, like digital badging to be the next AP. I don't know how that is possible, but it, this is my magic wand. So like, yeah, you can do it. We do it. Let's do it. That's a, it's a great, I mean, so digital badging for those people going, what is Bob talking about is, um, is a concept that's been around probably for six or seven years now. And then, and, and you've, you've explained what they are very, very well. It's, it's almost like getting, um, I was a boy scout. So it's like getting a merit badge, which, which proves that, Oh, I know how to do, I know how to tie a knot. I know how to do a, I know how to use a sailboat. I know how to use a canoe. Um, so, um, it's that similar concept, but in the world of music tech or in tech in general. And digital badging is is widespread widespread throughout other um, other aspects of uh, technology, but not necessarily. It hasn't really caught on in the um, music technology world. I think you'd agree with that. Yeah. But all we need is one large learning management system, some platform <laughs> that puts music first, maybe, there you um, go. to I start like using badging and then give grantors through Badger, which is an awesome organization, gives users the ability to grant badges that's tied to metadata in their platform. And maybe that can be the arbiter of change. All right, man, we'll chat. I love the okay. idea. That's very cool. So um, again, if for those of you uh, uh, you know that that love what Bob uh, said as much as I do, go to shedthemusic.com, check out the free videos that are there. I think it's extraordinary, gen, extra, extraordinarily generous of you, Bob, to give. I mean, there are dozens of videos. There are PDFs that you can download and print out. It's it's really a wonderful site and. The production through performance course that I'm just going to plug it now before we before we wrap up is a wonder. I mean, when people like I've had Barbara Friedman on the the show, and I just had Marjorie Lepresti, who um, well, this is the episode right before you. These folks have created curricula, you know, with all this, you know, their years of experience. Um, but uh, you know, and you can buy their books, and and it's fantastic. What I love about what you've done, Bob, specifically, is that this is a right out of the box, hey, we just bought the Soundtrap thing, or we just bought Nova, what the heck do I do with this? And it's a step-by-step, like, here are some awesome projects you can do right now with your kids. Here's all the materials you need. So it's, it's basically a, a music tech curriculum um, delivered uh, to you digitally, and you can go right uh, from day one and feel confident and, and get your kids up and running doing some great things. So production through performance, check it out on shedthemusic.com. It is available as um, um, premium content in Music First, or you can get it right from Shed the Music. And also in the Music First classroom, there's a re- in our resources tab, you'll find Shed the Music there. So if you're a Music First customer, click resources, Shed the Music, and, and you'll see what we're talking about. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate everything you've said. Again, uh, I think your kids are really lucky. And, and if your administrators are listening, you should give this guy a raise because uh, 
Bob, you're doing wonderful things. So thanks. Hey, for- thank you so much. One, one more plug. I'm, I'm going to be doing a PD on the curriculum over the summer. Follow us on social media. I mostly update the Facebook page. Where are you um, doing? Is that at Vander? Where do you teach? Um, I, I, I teach um, at Vandercook, but I think I'm going to host the PD myself online. Um, so we're going to do one session in June and one session in July. Um, so awesome. F- posting about that this next week. So what I'll, it's like a boot camp. You're going to run through the curriculum as if you're the student and I'm your instructor and I'll like take videos grading all of your stuff. So if you haven't written music before, if you're scared about composing, don't be, um, but I'll kind of kick your butt along the way and you'll be a stronger composer at the end. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'll make sure that I put all those links in the uh, description for the podcast. Bob, thanks very much. Look forward to seeing you in person soon. All right. Thanks, Jim. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.